everybody. Welcome to week number one of a four-part series we're calling Emotions. I'm so excited to have you uh, along for the ride today. Grab your Bibles. If you're at church online, grab uh, a copy of the Bible there close to you, or if you have it on your phone, uh, that's how, uh, really in church, that's how I follow along. Um, study God's Word uh, through my Bible, and I got a couple of study Bibles, um, different translations, and hopefully you do as well, but the Version app really does. Uh, it really has given us a great platform um, to have God's Word available quickly and at the touch of uh, your fingers. So join along if you, um, if you haven't. Uh, I always like to tell you where we're going before uh, I get into today's message. So I know today's a new message series, and I can't wait to preach this particular uh, message to you. But I did want to remind you, and for those of you who are new to City Hills, you may look around and think, man, uh, this is amazing what God's done and what God is doing, and it really is especially considering we spent six and a half months not gathering together uh, in the middle of a pandemic. We weren't together live for uh, over six months, and uh, the, the lives that were changed in that process and really the people that we served, it's just been an amazing journey, honestly. But two weeks from today, September the 27th, City Hills turns four years old, everybody. It's our birthday. I'm super excited about it. I really am excited. There were some of you who were there on day one. You were literally there the first day we opened the doors in a little elementary school uh, in Bernie called Kendall Elementary. And uh, we were there for nine months and then moved to a movie theater for three years. And then when that movie theater, through the pandemic, that movie theater uh, closed its doors indefinitely, uh, God brought us to this location. And here we are and here you are. And listen, here's the great thing I love about celebrating our birthday. Not only is it going to be good food and there's going to be cake, come on somebody. Not, that's really the best part. No, that's not the best. But the best part is that it's just four years in, everybody. The best is yet to come. Come on, somebody. Like we're just getting started. Hundreds of people have been saved here. Hundreds of people have been baptized. So many people have found hope again and and so many people have connected and joined the church and making a difference with their lives. And we're just getting started. Super excited to celebrate that uh, with you. Uh, why don't you, well, you got your Bibles in your hand. Let's ask God to speak to our hearts. Father, thank you for God's word. God, I believe today you want to speak to me. Whatever you want to say to me, my answer is yes. However you want to speak to me, my answer is yes. God, I want to get better today. Come on, tell the Lord. As I open God's word, I want to get better today. I want to change. I want to leave here with my head held high. Faith in God. So I open my heart right now, ready to receive. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody shout amen. amen. Come on, do better than that. Shout amen. 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 This is an amen in church. And I want you to know I preach better when you amen. Even at church online, I can feel your fingers typing amen at church online. And I just preach better that way. So excited uh, that you're here for week one of this series we're calling Emotions. Let me ask you a question. Over the last six and a half months, how many times have you asked this question, how are you doing? How, how are you doing? Are you doing okay? Anybody ask that a hundred different times? Anybody get asked that two or three times a day? How are you doing? Are you guys okay? I have asked that question of so many people. All of you, I've asked that question a million times. Our pastoral care team, our, our care team that has called and, 
and visited and, and written note cards. By the way, hadn't the Dream Team done an amazing job over the last six months caring for our church family? We're constantly asking, how are you? Are you okay? I'm at, everybody's asking me, are you okay? How are you doing, Pastor? Are you okay? And I'm like, do I look bad? You know, what, you know that feeling when you think that, like, when somebody looks at you and they go, man, you look tired. <laughs> you look ugly. I mean, so, I mean, <laughs> so, but everybody's, everybody wants to know how you're doing. And honestly, there's, there's, there's so many different emotions you could answer with how you're doing in the middle of a pandemic. And if I were to give you one word, not a cuss word, by the way, if I were to just, if I were to give you one word about how you're doing, what would your one word be? I want you to think through that and write in your notes. This is my one word. Maybe, honestly, it could be something like, you know, numb. I just feel, and there are people I've talked to who said, Pastor, I don't even, I can't feel it anymore. I mean, I'm just numb to it, honestly. Some people are angry in all of this and, and what it's meant and how it's, it's, it's amazing to me how mad people are behind masks. Why, why you got to be so mad at H-E-B? It's H-E-B. This is like Disneyland. Come on, Texans. Come on. This is, why are we so mad? Or, or maybe you're afraid. And that's, a, that's an honest emotion in this season, especially early on when none of us really knew what was going on and what we were facing. And that we had this invisible enemy that we were all, and still battling. As a matter of fact, yesterday, a member of our dream team uh, I was with uh, their family, Brandy and I, who, and he's a doctor. He's an emergency room doctor. And he said, as much as we know today, it's still random. It still doesn't make a ton of sense about how and why. And it causes fear. Maybe you're anxious and anxiety has, has risen and, and you don't know. And, 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 and I'm just worried and I'm scared of everything. And I'm, just, I'm having a tough time sleeping. Anybody else but me? And panic attacks are people who are dealing with anxiety and panic who have never dealt with that emotion before in your life. Matter of fact, you may have made fun of people and thought, well, there's something wrong with them. They're not strong enough. And now this has sort of opened that stuff up in your own emotional well-being. Anxiety and anxious or, or maybe stressed, you know, money or, or just insecure. If I were to give you one word, I think the best word over the last seven Months for me has been this unsettling. It just doesn't feel like I know what we do anymore. It just feels unsettling. And emotions are at the, the height. Do you know what I'm saying, everybody? Like, like in H-E-B, uh, honestly, like with the mask, and the, you never know. People are just stressed out, and emotions are right there. And you're like, the smallest thing is going to set somebody off, and they're going to punch me in the face. You know what I mean? Like things are just, it's, you don't know how to approach people. You don't know if they're a strict six-foot rule or not. You're like, I don't know. Are you five feet? Are you six feet? Where to, are you a hugger? I'm a hugger, which has been super weird in all of this. Because you go to hug people and they act like you've got the plague. And you're like, dude, I'm just, and I'm side-hugging and, I don't, I, and, and I don't know. Or, are you a mask or a no-masker? Who, who knows? And why, why are we fighting about this and emotions are just running so hot and high. Is it just me or does anybody relate? Say amen. It's just everything's. I've just got hashtag all the feels. Come on, somebody. I'm just feeling it all. And I felt everything I just preached to you this morning. I mean, it just, it's just, it's a roller coaster of all of that all the time and, and anxiety and fear and worry. And honestly, none of us have ever been in this particular situation. A global pandemic with economic uncertainty on top caused by 
a global pandemic and racial tensions that have uh, uh, risen to the surface again all across the country and political division maybe like we haven't seen in a lifetime and then elections are coming up and that's always odd because people put their faith in their candidate and their party instead of their God. That was not in my notes. I just gave you that one for free. <laughs> so I just wanted to keep reminding you about that. No, nobody we elect on November the 3rd is able to save you. You know. So anyways. But all of that rises to the top and it causes us. And, and we love when we feel good and we get all the good feels. And I love that feeling and happy and joy. And, and then we hate when I feel depressed and anxious and worried and afraid. And I fake a whole lot of in between. When I'm feeling some of that anxiety and worry and fear and then I fake it into, I'm doing great. Everything's wonderful. This is awesome. I love this mask. This is my favorite. I love it. This is, this, I love it. And, 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 and we fake our emotions and then we go home and you're, you're not the same to your spouse that you were to the people at your office. And emotions are running high. I want you to write this in your note. I didn't put it. On the screen, but I want you to write this down. It's not a sin to struggle emotionally. That's not a sin. But it can become a sin if you hide it from God and you hide it from other people. Let me say it to you again. It's not a sin to be sick, to struggle emotionally. But it can become a sin if you hide it from God and you hide it from other people. And as a matter of fact, God gave you other people for emotional times, for times just like this. Which is why, and you can disagree, and again, all of your disagreements, I would like you to email to Brandy at City Hills. I don't know if I... Anyway, it's just the, that is our complaint department. It's the best way to get right to me. That's why I don't like the phrase social distancing. I haven't liked it since March 15th when someone said it for the first time. I haven't used it since March 15th. You can use it if you want to. But God didn't create you to distance socially. There was one socially distant person in the history of humanity and it was Adam. And the, the moment it, God looks at Adam and he said, that's not good. It's not good for you to be alone. Say amen to that. You can be physically six feet apart, but you better be connected. You were designed to be connected to people. And isolation has heightened all of our emotions. And God gave you other people to deal with those emotions. Now you're isolated from the very thing God gave you to help you. And it's caused this snowball of emotional crisis. And I'm going to be honest with you, maybe worse than the virus is the emotional toll and crisis it's taken on the psyche of America. You don't have to believe it, but it's real. There's a real spiritual component to the last seven months of isolated and our emotions are raw. If you don't believe me, just open your Facebook app. <laughs> that's, where, that's where people with diarrhea of the mouth go to spew their emotions. is <laughs> on, on Facebook and it's just going to get worse. God gave you people. Write this in your notes. Your emotional health is connected to who you're connected to. I'm going to say that uh, 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 again so you'll catch it. Your emotional health is connected to who you're connected to. If the people you're connected to are fearful, you're going to be full of fear. 
If the people you're connected to are positive, you're going to have a more positive outlook. It's amazing to me as a pastor to sit back and watch a few negative people infect other negative people who weren't negative to begin with, but the cancer jumped on them. It's because my emotional health is connected to whom I'm connected to. So when when someone comes to me and says, Pastor, I'm feeling low, the first thing I ask is, who are you around? Because if everybody around you is feeling low, I'd feel low too. If everybody around you is negative all the time about everything, it's no wonder you're negative all the time about everything. If everybody around you is offended, no wonder you've owned the offense of someone who it didn't even happen to you. It just, it's connected to you. Are you with me? Say amen. It's connected to. If they're dramatic, you're dramatic. (laughs) It always kills me when I'm counseling somebody and they say, Pastor, everybody, I just feel like there's, I don't, this church is full of dramatic people. And I go, honey, (laughs) if this is a circus, you're our clown. You know what I mean? Like, if everybody around you is offended, you will be. That's why joining a small group is so important. That's why we have small groups like today, because you got to get around the right people. That you got to get around people who encourage you and lift you. And listen, our small group leaders are trained. If somebody in your group starts talking about how negative and that, and this whole world and that, you got to go. We'll cut you out. You got. You can't come next week till you get that right. We're gonna lift you up. Why? Because I don't need anybody else to tell me how bad it is. I need people to encourage me and lift me and speak life over me and life into my marriage and life into my children. Are you there? Say amen. That's why you can join a group today. Matter of fact, our small group leaders are all over church life today with a button that says, Ask me and how to join my small group. They're going to wear those throughout the semester. You can ask them how to jump right in a small group today. And when you do, God uses the people you're with to help your emotional state. You don't believe me? Look at James. James 5.16 says, Therefore... Confess your sins, your faults to each other, your problems, not just sins, not just stuff I'm struggling with, but everything in my life that's weighing me down. Confess it to who? To who? Not to God, to each other. Now, earlier it says if anybody has uh, uh, the struggle to confess it to God, that's for forgiveness. But if you'll confess it to somebody else, if you'll go to men's breakfast and you'll take the mask off and you'll go, guys, I'm struggling with, and I'm confessing to you, I'm struggling with this. If you'll go to a women's Bible study this semester and you'll say, listen, I I, got to tell you, I'm struggling with, and you'll open up and you'll confess that. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Everybody shout healed. Shout healed. You go to God for forgiveness, but you go to God's people for healing. And if you want healed from, emo- from where you are emotionally, you're going to need people to do that. You cannot find healing outside of God's people. It's just the way God designed it. He designed you to be whole with other people. He designed you. To- you say, well, I'm just not a people person. Well, get to be a people person. <laughs> I'm just not, I'm not good with groups. Well, it doesn't have to be a big group, but you need somebody in your life so that you can be healed. Now, I've told you this before, not on the screen, but you can write it in your notes. Some people don't want to be healed because being broken gets them all the attention. 
Some people don't want to be whole and healed. So when I, when I find out that you've still got brokenness and I say, what small group are you in? Ah, oh, well, I've got pastor, I, you know, I'm <laughs> okay. You like being broken because it gets all the attention on your brokenness. Because if you got around people who were life-giving and in a small group who could encourage you and lift you, are you still okay about this preaching today? Yeah. It would lift you up and it would heal you together. If you get with the right people, it's effective and powerful in helping your emotions. Everybody has a part to play in their emotions. It matters who you're with, and it matters what you think. It matters you got a part to play. Uh, again, uh, two, two little children, an uh, almost nine-year-old and an almost six-year-old, and we're teaching them personal responsibility for their feelings. Because I've met adults, I pastor adults who say, I can't help it, I just feel this way. And I'm teaching my six-year-old what I want to teach some 46-year-olds. You can help it. You have a part to play in helping how you feel. You have a part to play. There are two lions in your mind. One's faith and one's fear. One's doubt and one's trust. And one's confidence and one's worry. And one's anxiety and one's prayer. By the way, the opposite of anxiety is prayer. One's depression and one's joy and one's positive and one's negative and one's stingy and one's generous and one's suspicious and one's trusting. And whichever lion you feed grows. Write this in your notes. The thoughts you feed grow and the thoughts you fight fade. Leave it on the screen. The thoughts you feed grow and the, the emotions that you fight fade. So at six, I'm teaching my son, you're in charge of your emotions. You can handle it. It matters who you're with, and it matters what you think about, and take charge of, and what you feed in your mind. The old proverb says it like this, you, you can't help a bird flying over your head, but you can stop it from making a nest in your hair. You, you, don't ha you don't have to let it, it, it doesn't, uh, an offense can fly by you, but it doesn't have to stay in you. Hurt can fly by you, but it doesn't have to stay in you. Depression, you can wake up with a depressive spin, go, man, I don't know, but it doesn't have to stay there all day long. You can take authority over that, fight it, and feed joy in Jesus' name. I'm preaching good today. <laughs> You, don't, you, can, you can feed some stuff you want to grow. If you don't believe me, look behind this pulpit. <laughs> you, whatever you feed grows. If you feed it Krispy Kreme, come on somebody. If you feed it kale, you'll die. If you'll, <laughs> I'm kidding. If you feed your joy, joy will grow in your life. It kills me, people who say, I'm so depressed. What'd you do? I watched a Hallmark movie all day. Why? They're depressing. Don't do that. Don't feed depression. I'm, I'm, what do you do when you're depressed? I just listen to country music. Don't do that. You know, if you play country music backwards, you get your wife back, your dog back, your kids back. Stop drinking. <laughs> i got to get back to my notes. Everybody has emotions and, and everybody struggles. Even Jesus, who's God come in the flesh, struggled 
with emotions. He had emotions. Somebody studied Jesus and the emotions of Jesus and said that in the Bible, the best they could find, they found 39 different emotions that Jesus experienced or had in the New Testament. I didn't know there were 39 emotions till I had a little girl. Now, now I'm like, that's all? That's all? When Jesus looks over Jerusalem and he's, and he's, and he's, he's hurting for them, that, that people rejected God, he is grieved. The, you read your Bible, it says he's grieved. It's an emotion. When the religious people, the Pharisees and Sadducees, care more about rules than they care about people, he gets angry. That's an emotion. When, when he sends out 72 disciples and they come back and they describe how God's used them, he is overjoyed. That's an emotion. When his friend Lazarus dies, the Bible says he cries, he weeps in sadness. That's an emotion. Before the cross, when he's in the garden of Gethsemane, he is agonizing, he is discouraged, and he is lonely. Those are emotions. Even Jesus feels like you feel. And today I want to look at a story in the New Testament about how Jesus meets you in your feelings. If you have your Bibles, open them to Luke 7. That's where we'll be today. Jesus has just preached the Sermon on the Mount. He encourages someone who's hurting. So the emotion today, if you're taking notes, write this at the top. How does Jesus meet me in my hurts when I hurt, when I hurt deep? And, and maybe that's where you are today, a loss of someone or hurting financially or in that confusion of the last six or seven months you feel hurt. Maybe people that you've trusted have let you down. Maybe people that you trusted to be there forever have left and there's hurt. Maybe offense has come and there's hurt in your heart. Jesus deals with the emotion of hurt. So after the Sermon on the Mount, soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain. And a large crowd follows him from the Sermon on the Mount. And a funeral procession was coming out. Let me pause here and tell you, Jesus disrupted every single funeral he ever attended. He ruined every funeral. Not one time in the New Testament did Jesus let a funeral go by. Look at me in the eyes. Everything you think's dead, Jesus can resurrect. <laughs> Even the stuff you think there's no hope for, Jesus can resurrect. And he encounters this funeral procession coming out as he approached the village gate. And the young man, everybody say young man. And the young man who had died was a widow's only son. Catch the whole picture. My husband's dead. And now my only son is dead. I thought it couldn't get any worse when I buried his daddy. And now here we are. The only son to carry his daddy's name. And he's so young. And she's hurting. And a large crowd from the village surrounds her and says, I can't believe it happened to you. Verse 13. And the Lord saw her. Would you underline that? When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. 
Don't cry, he said, verse 14. Then he walked over to the coffin and he touched it. And the pallbearers, the people carrying the coffin, stopped. And Jesus said, young man, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy, I told you he ruins every funeral he goes to. (laughs) Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk. And Jesus, I love this part, Jesus gave him back to his mother. (laughs) Everything dead in your life, Jesus won't just resurrect. He'll give it back and restore it to you. Gave it back to his mother. Verse 16, and great fear swept the crowd and they praised God saying a mighty prophet is risen and God has visited his people today. In the ancient world, in a funeral, there would be paid mourners. There were people who would follow funeral processions and they were pros at mourning. They would play flutes made specifically for funerals. And they would wail and cry. And in the ancient world, you would know someone had died. It's almost like a second line in New Orleans. You would know because you could hear the sound coming through the streets. The flutes and the pro-mourners who were screaming and wailing and crying. And we don't know a lot about the story. We don't know how old the widow is. We don't know if she has any daughters. We don't really know The age of her son, we just know her husband is dead and her young son is now dead too. We can surmise that because the funeral is happening today, that it is most likely, though the Bible doesn't say clearly, that the boy died the day before because they didn't have formaldehyde, they didn't have a way to embalm, and so they would bury their dead very quickly. It's almost... Uh, for sure that he either died yesterday or he may have died that morning and they're already at a funeral for him. And I want you to visualize this whole picture. It's a single mom who's lost her husband and just loses her only son. Having never lost a child or my parents, thanks be to God, I can't imagine the grief Of someone that close. There are people maybe in church today where you know the grief of bearing a parent, a spouse, or God forbid, a child. Early on in our marriage, Brandy and I told everybody we didn't want children. You know what you say when you're stupid. Just got married, and I was preaching a lot, a lot of different places around the world, and we thought, man, this is the life. We're just going to travel the world and preach and, and, and we, who needs kids? You know, they're in the way. That lasted for a month or two or six or seven or maybe that first year. I think God knew in that first year we'd kill each other and probably killed a kid like we didn't know what we were doing. But after a time, we thought, okay, that was, that was dumb. We do want children. And I remember the first miscarriage. Not really knowing what to do. Honestly, we were young, early in our 20s. and Didn't tell anybody. Didn't tell anybody for years, honestly. Year after year. Test after test. And I don't know how all that works. I know there are people in the room who've dealt with that. I know there are people at church online. But I don't think we fully understood until years later the, the grief that surrounds the loss 
when you lose a baby, maybe even in a miscarriage. The sadness that overwhelms you. And this mother who's buried her husband, that's hard enough. This partner for my life that we've had dreams and hopes and we were going to build together and we were going to raise a family together and the family business together and I've already buried him. But at least I have my boy and I can see my husband and my son. I can see in his eyes my late husband. I can see the mannerisms that he has, that he carries. Now, he's gone. It is the deepest hurt of her life. Maybe a church this weekend, and it may not be that hard. It may not be that strong, but it hurts. What does Jesus do when you hurt? When the emotion of hurt bubbles always at your throat, just at your Adam's apple. Maybe it's the hurt of abandonment of a child when you were little and your dad left and you thought he was just going away for the weekend and he hasn't come home yet. Maybe it's the hurt that bubbles up when you, when you remember all the things that were said about you and what your mother said and your grandparents talked about how you couldn't and wouldn't. Maybe it's the hurt that sticks with you after a divorce and even though you know that it was the right move, it's so painful to think about a failure. And what do I do now? And how do we rebuild? And I don't know what your hurt is, but I know hurt is real. And it bubbles up in this woman who I can only imagine a day or so later at the funeral of her son. Grief is overwhelming her. And I don't know how she's standing. Maybe she's not. Maybe they're having to carry her, walk with her, an, an arm over a friend just to walk beside the coffin. The Bible says in Luke seven thirteen that when the Lord saw her. Would you underline that in your Bible? And then would you look up into my eyes? Church online and everybody in the room. Jesus sees you. Now listen. I see a whole lot of people. Brandon and I play this game every Sunday night uh, uh, where we talk about who wasn't at church. Not y'all, all the people who weren't there. And we say, well, where were they at? And where were they at? And did you see? And sometimes with our staff, we'll text back and did you? Did anybody see? Did anybody see? You know, did you see? Did you see uh, uh, Hal and Tamara? Did you see them at church today? Did you, I, did you? I didn't see. Did you see? And I'm terrible at it. And Brandy, every Sunday without fail, she has a list this long. She checks it twice. Y'all better know that girl's looking for y'all. And and she see because I see a lot of people. I don't notice a lot of things. Any men know what I'm talking about there? Well, we'll walk by something in the store and Brandy will say, did you see that? Like, is it, was there a bat? Or I don't, I mean, what? No, I mean, it didn't hit me in the face. I didn't see nothing. Or, or, or <laughs> did you, did, we'll watch a movie and she'll say, you remember, you saw that. I, I mean, I, I remember the movie was up there, but I did not know. I have no idea what you're talking about. I remember the general idea of the movie, but I didn't. I don't remember that part. 
It's one thing to see things. It's another thing to notice people. And when Jesus sees her, he doesn't just look at her. He notices her. He sees deeper than her. He sees a single mom who's lost her husband and in shock and literally in disbelief that I've now lost my only son. And when Jesus notices her, the first thing he does, the Bible says in verse 13, is his heart overflowed with compassion. Now, if you don't catch anything else I tell you today about the emotion of hurt, I want you to hear this. That not only does Jesus see you and know exactly where you are, you're not invisible, your hurt is not invisible, your pain is not invisible, your past is not invisible. Jesus sees where you are, notices where you are, and he hurts for you. That word translated compassion in the Greek is better translated, it's actually the Greek word splagna, and it sounds exactly like what it sounds like. When you say splagna, it means like splagna. I'm sure that was pretty on camera. It literally means something in your guts. And Jesus sees. And he's compa- it's your guts twisting up. And he's got compassion for her. And he feels deep down like you feel deep down. It's, it's that feeling when you pass a car wreck and you know it's not good. It's that, it's that compassion deep down. And Jesus sees your hurt and he feels like you feel. When emotion rises up, or does God even know where I am? Or how could He let this happen again? I just buried my husband and now here I am. And He hurts where you hurt. And He feels what you feel. And He cares for what you care for. And then, verse 14, He says to her, Don't cry, He said. <laughs> I wish I could scream this from the mountaintops. Leave this scripture up and I'm almost done. Don't cry. God, I wish I could tell you. You say, Pastor, that seems so, that seems so cold and callous. It, it's, it's not that I don't want you to feel the emotion of hurt. It's that every time Jesus encounters hurt, He's always lifting you up. Don't cry. I want you to know hope is here. Help is here. Hope's on the way. Everything's going to be okay. One of the things I love about this church, you can cry and worship. I do a lot. Many of you do a lot. You can have emotions there. But when you leave, I want you to have a don't cry attitude. I want you to have a, my head's higher. God's on the throne. Everything's possible. Jesus is here now. And he's working it out. Listen. And he touches. He he walks over. And... and And he walks over to the coffin. Now the coffin's not like our coffin. It's not like covered up in a box. It's not like that. It's this big open thing. And the body's laying on top. It's more like like just a mat. The body's laying on top of it. And and the Bible said Jesus walks over and touches it. Now you got to understand, in Jewish custom, the Pharisees had 613 laws in addition to the Ten Commandments that they interpreted every area of human life of what was wrong. That's what religion always does, by the way. It always adds to what God already finished. And so, and so it, it, one, one of the 613 laws where you, you can't touch anything dead, you can't touch anything that's touched anything dead, or you become unclean because you've touched something unclean. It's more than just touching a dead body you couldn't even touch something that touched the dead body 
And Jesus walks over to the coffin. And he touches it. And everybody, all the mourners and all the crowd that's gathered and all the aunts and uncles and grandparents and family that's there, gasp that Jesus touches something unclean. Look into my eyes. He doesn't just see you. He reaches for you. He's reaching for you today. Right now. And He can touch you. He can touch the part of you that you didn't think anybody knew. He can touch the hurt that you've carried around since childhood and now in your 50s. It still rears its ugly head in your marriage. Because the hurt is still there and it's still real. And He touches And the, and the bearers stopped and, and, and they couldn't believe it. And everybody everybody says, I can't believe this happened. And Jesus, when he touches the boy's body, listen, he crosses a line. Jesus was a rule breaker. I love that about Jesus, don't you? He just crosses a line. I think Jesus would wear his mask down under his chin. You know what I'm saying? I just, he's just a rule breaker. He's <laughs> stop, stop, stop. Don't, don't, don't. Brandy at cityhillstx.com. Religion draws lines that tells you don't do this and don't do this. These people are bad and these people are dirty. These people are unclean and these people have nothing to offer. And don't ever come close to people who've dealt with this. And Jesus just... I like to say it like this. Our church is like this. We don't draw lines to keep people out. We cross lines to bring people in. And when religion, listen, when religion drew a line and said, don't touch this dead coffin, Jesus just said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm going to resurrect what seems dead. I got to go. I got I to gotta, I gotta go. But I got to tell you, he'll cross every line to get to you. He'll, he'll cross your own doubt. He'll cross your own unbelief. He'll cross your own hurts. Doesn't really matter to him what religion says. Religious policy said don't touch anything that's dead. And he touches her dead. No boundaries, no rules, no laws can keep Jesus from caring when you hurt. When you hurt. When the emotions are raging. And Jesus touches this boy. And the crowd goes. And the little boy goes. And he sits up and he starts talking. And, and Jesus hands what's dead and resurrected back to his mother. And what seems dead to you, peace, joy, your marriage, depression, hurt, anxiety, fear, worry. What seems dead, this dream, having children. What seems dead to you? The, the business we were going to start, but we lost it all. And the pandemic now, I don't even know if it's a possibility. The dream of going back to school, getting that degree. But whatever it is inside of you that seems dead, Jesus, when He resurrects it, when He sees it and reaches for it, He'll resurrect it and give it back to you. And today, if you're dealing with the emotion of hurt, I want you to know just one touch from God 
can resurrect every area of your life. Bow your heads at Church Online, everybody in the room. Now, Jesus, I recognize there are people in the room today who are hurting. There are people who are struggling. There are people who have dealt with hurt for some time now, struggled with pain and struggled with what happened to them, an unfair thing, something beyond their control. How could they hurt any worse? Buried her husband, buried her only son. How could a day get any worse than this one? Maybe there are people watching today, wherever you're joining me, and, and you know that kind of pain and hurt. And nobody's looking around, not even our team, nobody's looking. But if that's you, and you're dealing with hurt from anywhere in any source, but hurt is the most, if you, if you were honest about the one emotion you dealt with today, I'm just hurting. Would you be bold enough to just raise your hand and say, it's me. Let me include you in this prayer. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Hands up all over the room. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I see you. God bless you in the back. I see you. God bless you. I see you all the way at the back. I see you. God bless you. Church online. God bless you. Thank you. Put your hands down. Now, Jesus, I pray for everyone bold enough to raise their hand and for people who weren't, who hurt today. God, I'm asking you to see them right where they are, but don't just see them. Don't just see they're in church today, but God, see the hurt, the pain. I know that you do. I know that you see the areas they've hidden, the, the areas of their heart they've locked up for years and years and years. And today, some of that is being unlocked, and I pray that they'll open their hearts, every part, to God. And God, when they do that, I'm asking you to touch them today. Father, I pray for a touch from God. One touch from the Lord can resurrect everything. One touch from God can resurrect dreams that seem gone and, and hurts and pain. It can heal in just one touch. I pray for that touch today. Come on, if you need that, would you just receive that? Would you pray that way? God, I'm opening up the areas of my life that are hurting, the areas that I've hid from everybody else, the areas that I haven't told anybody, haven't, haven't, haven't said anything to my spouse, to my parents. Nobody knows, but it still hurts. I'm giving it to Jesus today. I, 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 we just happen to be walking by and Jesus shows up. I'm asking you to touch this area of my life. Resurrect it. Cause hope to come back. Hope to be restored. Hope to rise again. C come on, cry out to God. Cast all of your cares on God. You can get your hope back today. When she got her son back, she got more than her boys. She got hope again. Hope for the future. Your pain, He feels. It hurts. His heart goes out to you. He cares for you more than you could possibly imagine. And He wants to touch you. Now, if you've never given your whole life to Jesus, that's the start. Real resurrection is more than the hurt and pain of your life. It's the dead area of your life. There's only two types of people in church today. People who are fully alive in Christ and people who are dead. If you need that resurrection, if you need salvation today, I want to lead you in a prayer that I can pray with you, but I cannot pray this prayer for you. It has to come from you, and it has to come from the depths of your heart. Pray something like this, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the cross. We celebrated today in communion. Thank you that you died for me. 
that you were buried, but that you rose again. And because of your resurrection, I can be raised to new life today. So I repent of my sins. Come on, tell him. I give you my whole life. I give you all of my sin, my hurt, my struggles, my pain. I give you my future, my hopes and dreams and desires. I surrender it all to God today. God, I'm asking you to save me. Come on, if you've never prayed that or it's been a long time. I'm asking you to save me. Give me a fresh start. Raise me to new life. Make me new. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody shout a big amen. Come on, let's give God's praise for His word.